Hello and welcome to this Radiant On Air podcast. I'm Rachel Stein, Director of Training Initiatives at Radiant. I'm here with Andy Oliverson, Radiant's Vice President of REO Operations. Andy, it's a pleasure to have you here to chat about the REO world. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Rachel. I'm excited to be able to join you today to talk about uh, REO and participate in this podcast. Great. So before we get too deep into our main focus of the podcast, which is going to be to discuss the post-pandemic REO volume, I'd like to start with some of the basics. For anyone listening today who may not know much about what REO is, can you define it for us and provide some color on how it impacts the real estate market? Uh, Absolutely, Rachel. REO is an acronym that stands for Real Estate Owned, and it's the result of a foreclosure that has occurred when someone defaults on their loan, they stop making payments, and the lender goes through the process to foreclose on that property to really make up for those lost payments. Once a mortgage loan goes into default, meaning the property owner's mention has missed one or more payments, the foreclosure process is started by that lender, in some cases, the servicer. Once the lender or servicer has completed all the necessary steps, and depending upon the state, there's a number of different steps that need to be completed. A foreclosure sale is scheduled and it's held. And if there's no third party bids, the property is actually sold or revert back to the mortgage company, the lender. Uh, And it becomes really at that point an REO. That process is usually a minimum of six months from the first public notice but it can extend well beyond that. And a good example is really Q2 of 2020 when the average foreclosure processing days was 685. So, you know, in context, the number of properties that make it to REO is really a very small percentage of the total housing stock. For example, the foreclosure filing rate for all of 2020 was really an eighth of a percent or 214,000 homes, which only about 50,000 of those made it to REO. So there's the filing and those that actually make it to REO. If you contrast that to the peak of the foreclosure crisis in 2010, there were 2.8 million foreclosure filings and about a million of those went to REO. So. Most lenders and servicers are doing all they can to prevent a foreclosure from happening because that's not a positive thing for them or the consumer. But we always know that there's going to be some loans that eventually end in foreclosure because some folks just overextend themselves financially. They take unnecessary risks or simply encounter circumstances that won't allow for them to continue to pay their mortgages. So it's important to note that this is a normal part of a functioning, healthy real estate market. That's great. That's very helpful. So Andy, you recently wrote an article for REI Inc. magazine discussing the effects of the pandemic on the REO market. Before we get into that topic, can you provide our audience with a brief overview of the pre-pandemic REO market? Yeah, actually to set the stage, the REO market has changed dramatically over the last decade. As I just mentioned, foreclosures and REOs, they hit a peak during the Great Recession. If you look at the period of 09 to 2010, it wasn't unusual to have about 80,000 properties becoming REO each month. Now, the housing market began a recovery in 2011, a slow recovery where the foreclosure rates drop year over year uh, since then. And just prior to the pandemic, the foreclosure activity actually hit a historical low of about a half a percent, which is ultimately about half of the typical foreclosure rate. And how did all of that change during the COVID-19 pandemic? Also, with the high unemployment rate in 2020, why haven't we seen high foreclosure rates as well? 
Yeah, what was interesting, because of the pandemic, right, everything shut down. People went home, jobs dried up overnight. Uh, the tough thing was is that you would expect a large number of foreclosures, but because of the coordinated effort between the government and private entities and, and the private market, uh, we really averted a lot of those issues. Um, part of that came because of the CARES Act, where borrowers with a pandemic-related financial hardship and a government-backed mortgage were entitled up to really 18 months of forbearance. That's what it shook out to, which really allowed those qualified homeowners to defer their mortgage payments for quite some time. Now, in the following months after you know March of 2020, moratoriums were, were set and then extended. Uh, related to foreclosures and also evictions. Now, the last set of moratoriums expired the end of July, 2021. Um, and the latest guidance from the Federal Housing Finance Agency, the FHFA, really was applicable to only evictions and that's set to expire the end of September. But the biggest change in this entire process is where the moratoriums for foreclosure has ended and evictions is set to end the end of this month. The protections put in place by the CFPB really are extending through the end of 2021. So moratoriums are ended, but there's still additional protections through the end of 2021. So we've seen a lot of those protections put into action to assist homeowners, as you said, who have been negatively impacted by COVID-19 and unable to keep up with the mortgage payments. And clearly the goal there was to help keep people in their homes. First, can you start by defining what is a moratorium? Yeah, absolutely. A real simple definition of a moratorium is when a law or an activity or a process is delayed or suspended for a period of time. Now, in this case, uh, there were delays or suspensions of the foreclosure activities to really ensure the homeowners had the opportunity to stay in their homes as they recovered from any financial difficulties related to the pandemic. Now, these homeowners were eligible for the forbearance programs, had their, their payments paused or reduced during their forbearance uh, period, which may have been up to 18 months. But it's important to note that a forbearance doesn't mean that mortgage payments are forgiven or erased. What it means is the homeowner must repay the payments over time or when they sell the home. A uh, good point. That's something that I didn't actually know until recently. So thank you for that. Can you also provide a little more background on what these moratoriums have done to the ARIA market? Absolutely. Really, the moratoriums have accomplished exactly what they set out to do, which is protect homeowners affected economically by the pandemic. They've allowed these homeowners who may have been unable to pay their mortgages to really stay in their homes, preventing mass foreclosures and a potential market correction or a crash, depending on the area. Of course, I think those lessons were learned in the last market downturn that led up to the 2008 financial crisis. And thankfully, those protections that we just talked about were put into place to prevent that from happening. Um, I think, in fact, the moratoriums have actually strengthened the real estate market by keeping the supply tight. Absolutely. I'd agree with that. The real estate market has been insanely competitive. My husband and I have experienced it firsthand by trying to purchase additional rental properties over the last year. And I know family members and friends who are also experiencing it firsthand. So it's been crazy. Um, even now, as we near the end of the purchase market, home prices are still extremely high and homes are flying off the market in no time. 
Yeah, it's been quite interesting to watch. We're seeing a major shortage in the housing supply. Actually, according to the Radian Home Price Index, which is provided by Red Bell Real Estate, a subsidiary of Radian, the number of existing homes in the market in the spring of 2021 was more than one-third lower than at the same time last year. And of course, less supply means prices are going up, and they were up at an annualized rate of 10.7% in the first half of 2021. The Federal Reserve even came out and said, hey, the forbearance programs are a contributing factor to the unusual strength in home prices. We all know that under normal circumstances, foreclosures actually help release supply into the real estate market by the way of foreclosures or REO listings which in turn would help regulate prices and keep them keep appreciation uh, growing a little slower. Uh, but for more than a year, the foreclosure and REO market has been dormant due to the moratoriums. So that brings me to ask you, what will be the outcome when the moratoriums and other protections finally end? But then also, can you look into your crystal ball and give us your outlook? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the crystal ball is right here and this is what it says. I'm only kidding. (laughs) We all would like to understand what's going to happen. But if you look at where the forbearances were, June of 2020, there were 4.3 million homes in forbearance. Fast forward to the end of August 2021, and there's 1.6 million homeowners that are now uh, enrolled in a forbearance plan. Even at 1.6, this is bound to result in some default activity when all the protections, including the CFPB, which we'll talk about in a second, those protections end at the end of the year. The guidelines from the CFPB really are to ensure that only those loans that were in default pre-pandemic or vacant uh, or abandoned currently will have the foreclosure process initiated. The CFPB has made it very clear to servicers that they must be prepared to follow the guidelines. Being unprepared is not acceptable, they've actually said. I would expect that most servicers will take a conservative approach when it comes to foreclosures, and I think that is it's, it means it's unlikely that there'll be a large or meaningful volume of REO properties coming to the market before the end of this year. The second part of that really is the distressed homeowners will likely be able to sell their homes for a profit because of all of the equity, uh, because of price appreciation over the last 18 months. So you would expect that some folks would rather sell their home than go through a foreclosure as their forbearance period ends. You know, the foreclosure crisis of 2008, the housing crash, it was so bad, in part because tens of millions of people were underwater. They didn't have... um, any value in their home, right? There was no room to sell, so they had to go. They essentially went through a foreclosure process. But because home prices have risen so strongly over the last 18 months, and homeowners have gained so much equity that it's likely that they could exit or solve their issue by just selling their home. That makes sense. For those homeowners who opt to sell their homes, how will that impact the market? You know, that's a great question. There's such high demand from a variety of entities and individuals out there, including investors and first-time home buyers. Of course, there's plenty of money. There's deep-pocketed investors who are currently queued up to buy and rehab properties and either rent them or sell them. Uh, in addition, there's the millennials that we all talk about who have a much stronger appetite for home ownership today than they did 10 years ago. In fact, this is an interesting stat. The National Association of Realtors estimates that there's a shortage of about 5 million homes 
Uh, in other words, we need 5 million more homes to meet the demand today. And if you contrast that and say, though there's 1.6 million homes in forbearance, you could see that even if all of those people in a forbearance program decided to sell their home and that was the best exit for them, that there would still be a big demand for homes. In fact, NRA said, and this is true of what I just said, foreclosed homes coming into the market will not cause a glut and price declines, but will help alleviate the tight housing supply and lead to a slower price appreciation. And that actually may be really good for home buyers who have been edged out over the last 18 months because of the low inventory and the extreme price appreciation. And I think we're already beginning to see some of those hesitant property sellers coming off the sidelines in anticipation of new inventory um, and also as the market moves forward in these forbearance programs, they end. New construction, which is also a big supply, is beginning to ramp up as supply of materials and labor shortages are hopefully beginning to ease. In fact, housing starts rose 6.3% in June, uh, and that was their highest level in three months, according to the Commerce Department. Yes, we just released a video on construction to permanent loans because we keep reading that there will be a surge in housing starts coming soon. It's interesting to see how all of the different markets are so tightly intertwined. So in the end, when do you anticipate the REO market will expand? Well, I think it really looks like the second half of 2022 before we get to pre-pandemic foreclosure levels. For those on the, you know, listening in or those of us that are in the REO market, it doesn't seem likely there'll be a tsunami of supply, but instead really a moderate increase in volume through this year into the first half of next year and pre-pandemic levels come around the middle of 2022. Um, you may see home price appreciation begin to moderate because of some of the new inventory, because some certainty has been restored with the uh, sunsetting of of moratoriums and so on and so forth. But there's plenty of signs pointing to a healthy real estate market in the post-pandemic environment. This is great, fantastic information and insight, Andy. Thank you for taking the time today to discuss this extremely important topic and help our listeners understand this side of the real estate market a little bit better. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, thank you, Rachel, for having me. And it was a pleasure to join you for this episode.